is a message from Trinity Grace Church in San Antonio, Texas. For more information, please visit trinitygracesa.org. Well, if you've got a Bible, you'll want to turn it to Psalm chapter 1. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 1 this morning. The passage is also printed for you in the worship bulletin, uh, and you can find that on your phone as well. And so glad that you're joining us this morning once again, whether you're watching from home or here on the soccer field. This morning, we're going to be starting a new sermon series that is going to carry us through the summer months. Through the next few months, we're going to plan to work our way through various psalms on Sunday morning. You might know that the psalms are a collection of 150 songs that are found right in the center of your Bible. You and I, we tend to view the Psalms as a private prayer journal that somehow we've been given access to, but that isn't really what the Psalms are. Instead, the Psalms were used as the hymn book of Israel. They would have been the songs that God's people sang corporately as they met together for worship. It was their Trinity hymnal, so to speak. The Psalms were originally music, the songbook of God's people. And as you know, you know as well as I, that music has the ability to shape and form you as a person. Music comes and it puts words to our emotions. It puts words to our experiences. The Psalms help us learn what it means to worship. The Psalms help us learn what it means to confess, to be sad, to express anger, to wait patiently in hope for the Lord to act on our behalf. There's not an emotion that you felt in life that the Psalms doesn't address somewhere in its pages. The Psalms contain the full catalog of human emotion, and it gives us words to express those emotions before God's face. The Psalms are there so that we can train ourselves how to feel. They shape how we relate to God. In many ways, the Psalms are meant to come and shape our hearts. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at Psalm chapter 1. It's known as the gateway to the Psalms. It's classified as a wisdom Psalm, meaning it lays out the path that the wise man or the wise woman chooses. And it's an important Psalm because it answers a question that you and I are constantly asking. To see that question and to see the answer that Psalm 1 gives, let's turn our attention to it now, beginning in verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Well, this is God's word, and he gives it to us because he loves us, and he wants us to know him. Are you happy? It can be a strange question, I know. Are you happy? I know it can sound a bit trite and shallow even to ask that question out loud, but I wonder if you ever stop and ask yourself that question from time to time. Are you happy? Are you happy this morning? Are you happy in this season of your life? I wonder how you'd answer the question, what makes you happy? 
Maybe good weather makes you happy. Maybe a clean house makes you happy. Money in the bank, a good meal, well-behaved kids, spending time with good friends, being recognized at work, new clothes, being moral. Sometimes being immoral makes us happy. Your team winning, which I hope we get back to soon. I wonder what makes you happy. We're people who want to be happy, and that's understandable. In fact, the Bible tells us that we are created to be happy. We are created to enjoy life, created to flourish. And Psalm 1 is all about a search for happiness. The psalm begins with the word blessed, and that's a word that can literally be translated happy. Happy is the man. But the happiness that this psalm talks about is more than happiness because of good weather or a clean house or even feeling connected to friends. The happiness that this psalm talks about is deeper than all of that. The happiness that this psalm speaks of is better understood as fulfillment or tranquility of heart. It's a fulfillment and tranquility that goes deep, that is not dependent on outward circumstances. And as we look at this psalm, you'll notice that it's all about finding fulfillment and happiness in life, both in the present, truly right now, and also in the future, where we'll one day experience happiness or fulfillment truly and fully. You and I often believe that happiness comes through circumstances in life. If you're like me, you often believe that happiness could be achieved if I just had a little more money, then I'd be happy. If I just had a different job or a different body or lived in a different city or owned a different house, then I'd be a little happier but we know that this is not true. We know that ultimate happiness can't be found in what we have or how we're doing. I like how Blaise Pascal put it, it's in the front of your worship bulletin, the quote when he says this, if our condition was one of true happiness, we wouldn't have to distract ourselves from reality, which is what we often wanna do. This Psalm invites us to consider if happiness can be found in different life circumstances or if there's something more substantial and lasting that can bring true happiness, fulfillment, and tranquility of heart. This psalm paints a picture of two types of people. One is happy and the other is miserable. One chooses the way of life, the other chooses the way of death. They're classified as the righteous and the wicked in this psalm. And using the term wicked, you need to know, isn't mean or offensive in the mind of the psalmist. It's a designation. The wicked people are those who do life without God. The righteous are those who do life with God. These are terms to describe someone's status or their disposition. And it's one or the other, according to the Bible. It's either righteous or wicked. And these two pictures are really descriptive of what it looks like to be happy or miserable, to have life or to have death. And this Psalm presents us with a decision a big decision. And we all make decisions in life, like what will your career be or who will you marry or what city will you live in? And when you make a decision and say yes to one thing, you know that you're implicitly saying no to everything else. David Brooks wrote a column a few years back on making decisions and he said this, these days we think a lot about decisions as if they were shopping choices. 
When we're shopping for something, we act as autonomous creatures who are looking for the product that will produce the most pleasure or utility. But choosing to have a child or selecting a spouse or faith or life course is not like that. It's probably safer to ask, what do I admire rather than what do I want? And that's actually the question this psalm is implicitly asking. What do you admire? What do you want to become? This psalm puts a choice before us. It's an invitation to choose happiness, to choose a beautiful, full, rooted life. And it's almost comical that we have these two options before us because who wouldn't choose happiness? Who wouldn't want that? But this psalm is getting at more than just a surface level choice. It probes down to the foundation of our choices. It asks us, who will we serve? Because who you serve determines the quality and the path of your life. The psalm is asking us to look at the source of our happiness. And it's asking if that source is strong enough to hold the weight that we put on it. Is the source of our happiness substantial enough to hold us as people? Can good weather or a bigger house or a better vacation or more money or nicer clothes actually provide the kind of fulfillment and tranquility of heart that we demand them to often provide? The psalm invites us to consider this question today by painting a picture of two types of people. We're going to look at the description of each person this morning. And as we do, I want you to think about which description you hope would be true of your life. And I've got a tree right behind me, so it's a great image for you to have as we're considering this psalm. Who do you admire? What do you want to become? First, let's look at the way of the wicked. As we work through this psalm, looking at both the wicked and the righteous, we're going to look at their lifestyles, then look at the result that that lifestyle brings, and then quickly look at the destination of each person First, what can we learn about the lifestyle of the wicked from Psalm 1? Well, it's described for us in verse 1 by way of a warning. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the sin of sinners, seat way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. It's important to know that the term wicked, sinners, scoffers, they're all synonymous here. They're different terms to describe the same kind of person, those who do life without God those who are opposed to God. And as someone spends time with people who pay no attention to God, who are opposed to him, we see from verse one, that influence wears on a person. We see the effect and the progression that we see in verse one. Did you notice it? The descent into unbelief is gradual. Little decisions are being made that lead to life without God. Look at the progression seen in verse one. They begin by walking, and then they stand. They stop and stand. And then by the end of that verse, you see that they're sitting. They're sitting, and and it's the picture of thinking, behaving, and belonging with those who don't follow their creator. In fact, it's almost unheard of for a person to make an immediate decision to stop following God, to reject Jesus. I've never once met somebody that one day they believe in Jesus, they go to bed, and the next day they completely reject him. Instead, it's a progression that happens. It normally happens over an extended period of time. It happens after lots of smaller decisions are made. It happens when you're increasingly influenced by scoffers. 
those who can't find happiness in anything, those who despise happiness in others, those with a cynical disposition, those who don't believe in God. Basically, the psalmist is telling us that the things we think about and the ways that we act and the people that we spend time with can lead to a life characterized by unhappiness. And this is a good time to stop and ask a question of application. Who influences your thinking the most? What are you reading? What are you watching? Who are you receiving counsel from? Who are you walking and standing and sitting with, as this psalm might say? Could it be that our convictions are more influenced by blogs or by Twitter or by experts, by Fox News or by CNN than the Bible? There's nothing wrong with those things, nothing wrong with news or keeping up with current events, but ultimately they've got to be filtered through the grid of God's word. Now let's ask what kind of life do the wicked lead? Where does the path of the wicked take us? We see a life characterized by emptiness. We see it in verse four, the wicked are like chaff that the wind drives away. And this is a really stark picture. The farmer in those days would harvest his grain and he would take his shovel and he'd toss that grain up into the air and the chaff or the useless husk would be driven away by the wind while the rest of the grain would fall to the floor for collection. Chaff is weightless, it's worthless, it's dry. And this is descriptive of those who live as though there is no God. The wicked do whatever makes them happy in the moment. And we often do too. But there's a problem with that. You know it as well as I, what makes us happy changes all the time. I mean, just think for a second about eighth grade you. Think about your eighth grade self. If everything came true that you thought would make you happy in middle school, what would life look like right now? Be scary to see. Just give it five years and you'd be miserable. Even now with the choices that we make or insert that job or that new house or that new city, we think we know what's going to make us happy, but we really don't know at all. We don't know ourselves. Our desires, they change on a daily basis almost, and we don't know the future. The wicked are ungrounded, it says here in Psalm 1. They're sapped. I love that word. They're sapped. It hearkens to David's experience in Psalm 32 after he sins with Bathsheba, his great confession, where he talks about how sin had sapped his strength like the heat of summer. The consequences of sin lead to spiritual weariness and groaning. It's the opposite of what we read about earlier in Psalm 92, where it says the righteous are ever full of sap and green. Psalm 32 and 92 show us that we can tangibly experience and feel the consequences of our choices. We can either be sapped by them or gain strength through them. And I wonder if you've ever stopped to think about and consider what it feels like when you walk down the wrong path. What does it feel like? What does it feel like when you do something unethical at work? What does it tangibly feel like when you lie? What does it feel like when you have eyes for another person that's not your spouse? What does it feel like when you gossip or when your identity is wrapped up in money and possessions? What does that feel like? Well, it feels like chaff. It feels like you're ungrounded, like your strength is sapped. You don't feel very happy. 
You don't have fulfillment or tranquility of heart when you're walking down the path of the wicked. It doesn't feel very substantial. And that's the result of living a life apart from God, where we don't consider his desires for our life. I wonder if you describe your current spiritual condition this morning with these descriptions, dry, weary, weightless. We see that the destiny of the wicked is death. Those who do life without God are going to perish. Their lifestyle leads them to spiritual death. And the psalmist is talking about right now in very real ways, we can experience spiritual death. And then one day fully and finally we'll experience it when Christ returns. But if that description characterizes your life this morning, if you feel dry and weary and weightless, then I'd imagine that you long for something different, a change. I imagine you'd love the chance to refresh your thirsty soul with spiritual refreshment. We're all spiritually thirsty to some degree, and we're constantly looking for ways to quench our thirst. We go to a number of different streams that we think are going to work, but they don't work. And there's some common streams we tend to gravitate towards in our context, things like approval or money, control, food, morality. And these streams we go to, to quench our spiritual thirst, they just leave us empty. They leave us more weightless and dry. And this psalm is coming and pointing us to the only stream that'll quench our thirst for fulfillment and happiness. So let's take a look at that description for just a minute. Let's look at the way of the righteous. We see the lifestyle of the righteous described in verse 2. And it's a contrast from what we read in verse 1. Instead of spending time in the company of those who don't regard the Lord, the righteous person delights in the law of the Lord. It's worth noting that this psalm is more descriptive than prescriptive. What I mean is what we'll see throughout the psalms is normally the psalm paints a picture or it describes a way of life, and then it lets the reader come to a conclusion of what they want. It doesn't prescribe things for you. It paints a picture of the beautiful life and asks you to choose it. And it's what happens here in Psalm 1. Two descriptive pictures of life are painted for you and you're invited to choose. And what we see about the way of the righteous is that it's an alluring picture that's painted. It's a beautiful life well lived. The psalmist wants us to see that the way of the righteous is delightful. First, let's pay attention to how a person gets there. What does the psalmist mean when he says, the righteous meditate on God's word. After all, the idea of meditation can have some negative connotations in our context. A lot of time meditation has a connection of emptying our mind or a connotation of emptying our mind, getting free from the clutter. We tend to think of Eastern religions when we think of meditation. But meditation that the Bible speaks of isn't about emptying your mind. It's about filling up your mind filling up your mind with the voice of God as you delight in his word. The psalm talks a lot about meditation and the psalms in general do as well. It's a biblical practice. And meditation is a way of making God's voice the most important and influential voice in your life. We, re we need an outside voice that loves us and wants to fill us and lead us. And the way of blessing is to listen for and follow the voice of God, not the siren songs that are calling for our attention and affection on a daily basis. These siren songs, these other voices offer a vision of life that is attractive 
and we begin to think that these other ways are going to make us happy because of what they offer, and they satisfy for a little bit, money, health, promotions, recognition, bigger houses, better vacations, these are the siren songs of our culture, and we are inundated with them. And these can even be good things, but they become oppressive when not governed by God's voice. Blessing is not found in stuff or praise or success. Happiness is not found there. It's found in God. It's found when we delight in God and his way for our life, when we meditate on God's word, when we pay attention to God's voice most, when we consider his word and turn it over and over in our minds. We are meant to delight in God's word like we delight in a good meal or a beautiful sunset or a fun experience. We're called to let God's word sink deep into our bones. Meditation on God's word is meant to fill us, sustain us, nourish us, strengthen us. And you may think you don't know how to do it, but you do it all the time. Did you know that worry is meditation? Worry is meditation. Worry is a form of meditation And I do it all the time, and I'd be willing to bet you do as well. We worry about relationships. We worry about money. We worry about health. We worry about the future. We often worry about these things, and we think about them from every angle. We turn them over in our minds. We write about them. We read about them. Our worry can consume our time, and eventually what it does is it consumes us. And what we're doing when we worry is meditating. We also meditate when we're on Zillow dreaming of a new house. We're meditating when we plan and craft a vacation for our family. We're meditating when we read up about the coronavirus and read about different outcomes. That's meditation. With that in mind, the question for us becomes, what are you meditating on? What story are you hearing most often? Where are you receiving counsel? The psalm is telling us that the answer to these questions has the ability to change our lives. We might not believe it, but it's true. The truly happy person is one who listens to God, and listening to God requires from us some degree of stillness and silence in our lives. We're often so busy, and our lives are often so noisy that we can't hear. But listening to God, it takes time. It's a relationship that requires engagement and attention. And meditation roots us in God's word. And this can sometimes be foreign, even to those of us who have been in church most of our lives. Because if you're like me, meditation takes us deeper with God, but it's not what we're used to. It's not about being around God's word or knowing a lot of facts about God's word. The goal of meditation is to connect with him, to enjoy his presence, to walk closely with him. We're meant to use the word as a means to connect with God. The Bible is not an end in itself. It's a means to connect with God. Meditation can help us move from knowing about God to really knowing him in experiential ways. And this meditation, this relationship and connection to God leads to a beautiful life. Look at the image described in verse 3. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The righteous, I want you to notice, is a rooted person. Their foundation is secure. They're like a tree who sinks their roots deeply into the soil and thrive. And those rooted in God find that circumstances in life don't have the same ability to negatively affect them and their happiness because of their deep roots. 
disappointment, difficulty, surprises, they're going to come and they may come and go, but the righteous are rooted in something that allows them to weather those storms. The righteous person we notice is a healthy person because they do life with God. They're nourished by his word. They're fresh and healthy in heart and soul. They navigate the world in a dignified way. There's an inward steadiness and serenity to the person who finds refreshment and connection in God. The righteous person is a useful person. Think about this. Have you ever stopped to think about the fact that trees don't produce fruit for themselves? They don't enjoy the fruit others do. A tree planted by streams of water that produces fruit, produces that fruit for the enjoyment and the good of other people to bring blessing to the world. What this means is that you're meant to be connected to God through his word so that you might produce fruit, so that you might bring nourishment to other people. The tree always points away from itself, providing nourishment for others, bringing glory to the one who planted it. Reminds me of a poem I ran across this week, and I didn't plan it, by Joyce Kilmer entitled Trees. And you can look at this tree as I read it, because I think that would help, actually. It says this. I think that I shall never see a poem lovely as a tree, a tree whose hungry mouth is pressed against the sweet earth's flowing breast, a tree that looks at God all day and lifts her leafy arms to pray, a tree that may in summer wear a nest of robins in her hair, upon whose bosom snow has lain, who intimately lives with rain. Poems are made by fools like me, but only God can make a tree. And it fits perfectly with the goodness of God towards us as described beautifully in Isaiah chapter 61, verse three, where the image of a tree is picked back up, where it says that God's people will be called oaks of righteousness. Oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. And it's worth noting that this kind of life, it takes time. Growth for a tree can be slow. We don't plant a tree today and have fruit tomorrow. It takes time and that means it's okay if your growth in the Christian life is slow. Your growth might be slow, but it lasts. And in verse five and six, we see the destination of the righteous. They'll experience life. They're known by the Lord. And that's a beautiful thought, to be known by the Lord. This word is... For knowing it's an intimate term, a personal term, one that reminds us that God takes notice of us, that he longs to be in relationship with us. And if we're connected to the Lord through faith, which is what makes us righteous, we'll experience tastes of life and glory truly now in this life and one day fully and finally. This psalm paints such a beautiful picture, giving us a choice between two options. And it may be that you're feeling this morning overwhelmed at this point. You might be thinking, what do I have to do to delight more? What do I have to do to meditate in deeper ways? What do I have to do to be firmly rooted? Look at verse one, where the psalmist talks about a blessed man. You might even have a little subscript in your Bible after the word man there, because this word is used as a representative figure. It's an ideal man that the psalmist talks about. This is a person who is described, who stands in for many people. This man is a true Israelite, a true son of God who follows God in beautiful ways. And you and I can recognize that man today as Jesus. 
He is that man that Psalm 1 describes. And we're called to look to the one who embodies this man perfectly. One who did not walk or stand or sit in the company of the wicked. One who delighted in God's law perfectly and was deeply rooted every day of his life. Through Jesus' power and rootedness and delight, we get to experience these benefits truly now and will one day soon experience them fully when we meet the man that Psalm 1 describes face to face. So how do you get rooted? Well, you trust in that man. You trust in that man, walk with him. It doesn't matter how far down the wrong path that you've traveled, Jesus loves to welcome and to forgive and to rejoice with folks that turn around. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And we can come to God and experience this beautiful, righteous life only through him as we come through him. So come through Jesus. It's not about you doing more, but about receiving and resting in him. In Jesus, we can have real happiness that'll last. Let me pray for us this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the way that you've come to be this man that we need thankful for the way that you lived a life that was rooted and dignified, one that was deeply connected to your father. And we get to enjoy the benefits of that life that you lived on our behalf. And we pray this morning that as we come to celebrate at this table, the benefits that you have earned for us, that you would bring great joy and comfort to our hearts and souls. It's in Jesus name we pray. Amen.